0: The Lord's my shepherd; i am not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores. Will trust I, will trust will trust I Will trust, I will in, trust you in You alone, and I will alone. trust in You For Your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will. my ways in righteousness and the unknown
1: you so much for joining us. Over the last few weeks and months we've had to reimagine what it looks like to be the church. One friend of mine commented that it feels almost as if the church has had to leave the 17th century and to venture into the 21st century overnight using new technologies to engage with thousands of people across the globe. Today we're going to venture right back to the beginnings of the church, to a story recorded in the book of Acts. There, we'll see that being church isn't so much about attending a place of worship, but it's about individual people encountering Jesus, being transformed by him, and seeking to live radically different lives in community with other believers. Prioritising time to read and to understand the Bible, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer we'll see that one of the effects of this radical Jesus lifestyle was a great growth in the church, with thousands of people becoming believers. Perhaps this time of change will challenge us to re-evaluate our priorities and to think again about what we're really about. So let's worship together.
2: The reading today is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 47. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. You will not let your holy one see decay. you've made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, fellow Israelites. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, seeing what was to come. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: After the resurrection, the disciples found themselves in lockdown, shut away behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish and Roman authorities. Their charismatic leader was an enemy of the state and he died a criminal's death on the cross. They dared to follow Jesus, so would they now come to the same bitter end. They'd believed in Jesus, they'd trusted that he was their promised leader, the one that they'd hoped for, but now he was gone and all their possibilities and dreams for a better future, were all left in pieces. There'd be no freedom from a cruel Roman occupation, no chance of calling Israel their own once more. That feeling of imprisonment, of being hemmed in under a cruel grasp of the Roman Empire, seemed to prevail. And, to add insult to injury, even the Jewish leaders seemed okay with that, simply because Jesus and his way was too much of a challenge and because it appeared to undermine their own power and their own influence. There were so many unknowns, so many unanswered questions, so much disappointment, grief, fear and doubt in the air. And it's into all of this that the resurrected Jesus comes. He comes to change everything. The disciples' natural reaction must have been to get out of Jerusalem To get out of danger, to get safe and to find a place to process their grief. Wouldn't that have been our reaction? But seeing the truth that Jesus had beaten death and was now meeting with them in their lockdown changed everything for the disciples. The fact that they'd seen him die a brutal death and yet he now lived must have blown their minds. They'd finally gotten it. He really was God. He wasn't dead and they no longer needed to grieve him. So now the focus no longer needed to be on them and how they were feeling. It was on something much bigger. They must stay in Jerusalem to share this incredible news with others. They were courageous. You might think that they became fearless. Yet, as the famous quote says, courage isn't the absence of fear, but the decision that there's something bigger than that that scares you. So you decide to do it anyway. Then there was a spectacular outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Peter gives a courageous address to a puzzled crowd. It's the first public statement of the good news about Jesus, about his resurrection and about God's rescue plan through him. Peter gives reasons why we can be sure that Jesus rose from the dead. First, The power of death couldn't possibly be stronger than the power of life in God's Messiah. As Peter explained, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Second, Peter points out that the resurrection of Jesus was prophesied. David was a prophet and he knew that God had promised to place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, He spoke of the resurrection of Christ. But most importantly, Peter gives his own testimony. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. In other words, he says, we've all seen it. Finally, Peter insists that their experience of the Holy Spirit is in itself evidence of the resurrection. After the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus there's one final act in his newly inspired ministry. As Peter explains, Exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This experience of the Holy Spirit isn't confined to those who are present at Pentecost. It's for every Christian. It's for you. The promise, Peter says, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Every time someone experiences the Holy Spirit, it's further evidence of that first resurrection. Every time we see somebody filled with the Holy Spirit and hear stories of how the Holy Spirit has changed their lives, it's further evidence of the ongoing effects of that resurrection. When a young woman at university with me, known for her love of boys and drink and her lack of commitment to her studies, personally encountered Jesus and his resurrection power, her priorities and her passions changed. This was evident in her everyday life choices. She drank less and she studied more and she actually ended up graduating with a first-class degree. This change in her life Prompted by her personal experience of the Holy Spirit is evidence of Jesus' resurrection and of its ongoing life-transforming power today. These are not just my words, but if she were here telling her own story, she'd say the very same thing. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to recognise the truth in Peter's words. You crucified Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus died for my sin My personal sin was present on the cross. The day that I recognised this, I too was cut to the heart. It's that revelation that leads to true repentance of these sins and how we then choose to live out our lives. Is it our way or Jesus' way? The way to receive the promises of Jesus is by repentance, by faith in him, by baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The evidence that you've received the Holy Spirit will be seen in the way that you live your life. The Bible tells us that such evidence includes more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, self-control, goodness and kindness, more gentleness. And if the church, God's people, continually grows in these qualities, it'll become the transformed version of society that it's called to be. Like me, you may not have the spectacular story of conversion that my university friend experienced. But there should, nevertheless, be evidence of change and transformation in your life as you endeavour to look and be more like Jesus. Exactly what that looks like for you will be different to the experience of everyone else around you. But if, for example, you have a short fuse, you should be praying that God gives you more patience and then actively trying to be more patient. If you love to gossip, you should be praying that God will guard your tongue, which can be a dangerous instrument, but you should actively also choose not to open your mouth when you know that you shouldn't. And if you're tight, you should be praying for the gift of generosity, and then you should hand over your money to those in more need of it, even if it stings when you do so. There's little point in calling ourselves Christians, if we simply talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. As the number of people who experienced Jesus in their lives continue to grow after Pentecost, Acts shows us how they then built a radically different community together. The church was not a pretty building where they went on a Sunday. It was a word for the organic, transformed community that they built together as they tried to live in the world as Jesus' followers. Church was not somewhere that they went. It was who they were as they tried to live out their lives for Jesus together. The early church was a community of people full of celebration and joy. They were people who were famous for love, and Acts gives us four marks of being church. Together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These four go together. We can't separate them or leave one out without damaging the whole thing. So they were first famous because of their love for God. They had a new passion for the Bible, for the sacraments and for prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Without attention to good teaching and to constant, lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or to the mindset of the surrounding culture. They end up letting their minds be shaped by whatever social pressures are most persuasive at the time. And Jesus becomes nothing more than a pale influence or a distant memory. That's why we need to be people who are reading our Bibles. The Bible is God's love letter to us and as we engage with it we're brought closer to Jesus. It's the word of God that sets our hearts on fire within us. Reading it helps us to discover a new passion and a new commitment for Jesus. Don't only read your Bible because you feel you must, but because you want to, because you're eager to learn more about how much God loves you and about how much, with the Holy Spirit's help, you can get to know Jesus and find the power to be more like Him. Sometimes of course there will be seasons when you just don't feel like reading the Bible. I go through those times too, just like the rest of you. But I want to encourage you to be persistent in those times, coming to God with expectant hearts, because in my experience, it's during those times that God speaks most clearly. The disciples also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread in their homes. The breaking of bread was a term that the early Christians used to refer back to a simple meal that took them back to the upper room in remembrance of Jesus. Without it, they were failing to raise the flag which said, Jesus' is death and his resurrection is the centre of everything. When we gather together for communion, are we thinking back to that great news that Peter shared, allowing our hearts to be filled with a sense of celebration and joy that comes from knowing that Jesus has conquered death? or are we simply allowing ourselves to get lost in the aesthetics of it all? As the years have progressed, the church has allowed lots of pomp and ceremony to enter into that act of remembrance. That's all well and good, but what really sets your heart on fire? The ceremony itself, or that which it's there to represent? Personally, I love a bit of pomp and ceremony, but without that inward understanding, and appreciation for what it really means. Pomp and ceremony is all that it is. And finally, the disciples show their love for God by devoting themselves to prayer, talking to God. Whenever we neglect prayer, we forget that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatsoever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together so that we can share in heaven already. In other words, Prayer enables us to experience something of heaven, even though we're still on earth. It connects us on earth to the living Jesus in heaven. When we choose not to pray, we deprive ourselves of so much communication and intimacy with a God that loves us. So if prayer isn't something that you've ever really tried or understood before, or if you'd simply like to deepen your prayer life, why not spend some time working your way through the prayer course? It takes you on a short and accessible journey through the Lord's Prayer. And it's free. You'll find the link on the Church Online page on our website. We can't do life with Jesus on our own because we show how much we're growing in love for Jesus through the way that we encourage, build up and love one another. People often tell me, I'm a Christian but I see no point in going to church. But when people ignore the common life of the Christian family, they become isolated, they find it difficult to sustain a living Christian faith, and they forget their calling to create that transformed, new version of community, which gives the world a glimpse of heaven on earth. The early Christians had a new desire to meet together, and there was a new release in finances and in generosity in giving. They lived as a single family, sharing one another's joys and burdens. When you live together as a family, under one roof, you don't see this chair, or this table, or loaf of bread or bottle of milk as mine, but ours. The breadwinner doesn't see the money that they bring in as theirs, but something that belongs to the whole household. That's part of what it means to be a family. The early Christian impulse was to see things like that. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. Our baptism, our shared faith and our fellowship at the breaking of the bread all point us in that direction. When the twelve were going about with Jesus, they had a common purse, various people contributed to it and they behaved like a single family. How do you continue to do that? when, quite suddenly, several thousand people come to join you? The answer is with great difficulty, it seems. But they were determined to do it, because not to do it would deny them something basic about who they were. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that they sold everything that they had to share it with others. They seemed not to sell their homes, for example, because they continued to meet in one another's houses. Rather, they sold all of the extra property that they had, a big sacrifice for a people for whom land was not only an economic asset but also part of their ancestral heritage, part of God's promised inheritance. As a student, I was invited to preach at a chapel out in the country and afterwards I was invited to lunch with an elderly couple. As we sat down for lunch, they shared with me how they'd had to reduce their giving to the chapel to 50 pence per week, because they were pensioners and on a fixed income. But to my amazement, after dinner, they spent the whole afternoon sharing with me the pictures of the three luxury overseas holidays that they'd enjoyed that year. During lockdown, both Claire and I have noticed that our monthly expenditure has dropped significantly. And we still have all that we need the savings have come because we're not able to go out and spend money on what we want i wonder if you found yourself in a similar position less fuel to pay for no meals out the numerous trips to the coffee shop for tea and cake with friends have all of a sudden not been able to take place that's how we found ourselves which is why we've intentionally sat down and begin to think about how we can financially bless others in some way. One practical way that you can do this, perhaps, is by paying your hairdresser even though they can't cut your hair. That's what we did recently, and to my amazement, I had a teary telephone call to say how much it meant, because a decent, hard-working person had found themselves without any income because of coronavirus. And despite seeking help from the government, they were still waiting, not able to pay for food for their two children. That's what the early Christians did. They had a word for this way of ordering their life. A word which we've taken to refer to a feeling inside of us, but which for them was primarily about what they did with their possessions when they were part of this big extended family. The word is love. Paul tells the Thessalonians that since they already have love for one another, they must do so much more. He doesn't primarily mean that since they already have a warm feeling for one another, they must have even warmer feelings for each other. He means that since they're already caring practically for each other, they must begin to work even more intentionally to make that a reality. That challenge remains for every generation who seek to be the church, especially now that Jesus' followers number several million around the world. As a community, we must never lose sight of the fact that the very reason we ask people to bless us financially is so that we can pass on those blessings to others who need them most. And that brings me to my final point. Because not only were they famous for loving God and for loving each other, They were also famous for loving the world. They were an outward-focused community and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When Jesus' followers behave like this, they find to their surprise that there's a new spring in their step. There's an attractiveness and an energy about a life in which we stop clinging on to everything that we can get and start sharing, giving away and celebrating God's generosity by being generous ourselves and that attractiveness is one that draws other people in they were praising God and stood in favour with all people and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved of course they were and of course he did that's how it works where the church today finds itself stagnant unattractive humdrum and shrinking It's time to read this passage again, to get down on our knees and to ask what isn't happening that should be happening. The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need to encounter him. So what are we doing about it? Having pondered all those things then, let's just turn to God in prayer. Let us pray.
2: Lord God, we come to you again another week into lockdown where actually... We seem to have a new normal now and living in lockdown and meeting and worshiping together online is the norm. We've been doing it for many weeks now and who knows how long we'll have to do it in the future. Um, Lord God, we come to you in a new norm um, today and we want to thank you God for who you are and we praise you for your goodness and the blessings that you give us. Uh, Thank you individually for specific things that have happened to each and every one of us this week. That we can actually say thank you God you are good for. God I want us to lift up in prayer the world and all the world leaders and the people in places of power and privilege who are making big decisions about how countries manage this coronavirus pandemic and also manage all the other day-to-day runnings of a country amongst that. God I pray particularly for, for our leaders, for Boris Johnson and, and all the people in Parliament, God. God, we ask that you would bestow upon them your Godly wisdom. Um, help them discern what is right, what is wrong, what is your desire um, for decisions to be made um, that are going to, to serve the whole of the United Nation for our for our good. Lord God we thank you for the safe arrival of the Prime Minister's baby son and for his continued good health and the health of um, the baby's mom as well. Lord I pray for all the new babies that have come into families during this coronavirus pandemic and we, we just pray for those families for for blessing and comfort and encouragement in families where it is so not the norm not to be able to go and share your new baby with family, friends and loved ones. And I just pray over each of those babies that have been born, that although they have been born in a pandemic and they actually aren't able to to leave their parents' homes um, and see grandparents and meet cousins and friends. God, we I pray blessing over those babies and I pray for a future of adventure across the world Um, and I I thank you that you've got plans for each and every one of those new babies that has been born you knew those babies um, before they were even knitted together in their their mother's womb God I thank you that you love them you care about each and every one of them um, and you we pray for good things for their lives um, going forward Lord God I want to thank you for all the the key workers again God they can't get enough for keeping the country going all the mundane boring stuff now because the novelty of this lockdown has worn off keeping us fed keeping us with heating in our houses keeping us with deliveries from things that we've ordered keeping us with medication to keep us well um, keeping us with educational ideas to help um, teach our children and things and help us stay sane in this lockdown Lord God, I want to thank you for our church leaders. Lord, we lift them up to you and thank you for the work that they are doing. We pray for the work that Adrian is doing and Rowena is doing with the the children. And we pray for all those in ministry um, in our local areas, God, serving the community during lockdown. Lord, would you give them renewed passion, renewed strength, renewed ideas um, in how to do things differently and continue doing things um, during lockdown. We pray for the bishop as well and for all the oversight he has and the big decisions he's he's having to make about church running so differently now compared to two months ago. And we lift up our churches and thank you that as a church family we are still connected via Zoom, via phone calls, uh, via Telephone and via email, but God, we do just lift up the the mundane, routine stuff that still needs to go on with our church buildings. They need looking after, and we pray that you would help us um, keep those keep those buildings safe and secure, and able to be used as soon as lockdown is over, when we can meet all together. We pray for your protection um, for our resources and help our leaders use them wisely. And Lord God, lastly, we just want to pray for ourselves and our loved ones and people that we know, and even people we may we know maybe don't even like that much, God, because you say to pray for for everyone, not just those that we love. We pray for people that we know who are finding it tough in lockdown for whatever reason, whether they are sick themselves, whether they are fearful and worried, whether they are anxious with a newborn um, at home figuring that out without all the local support they would normally have, Um, for people who are just stressed and bored and lonely, Um, for people whose lives have just been turned upside down and they're still not the way we want them to be, for people's plans, for the people who are due to get married this month, next month, the month after, the people who are having to plan funerals um, in such a weird way right now. God we just lift up those in need of comfort of your love of your encouragement of your hope would you give it to them in the way that they need it Lord God and I thank you for the sunshine today and I pray for each and every one of us listening and everyone that we know as well that you would just bring your sunshine into our lives especially Lord when um Our lives feel like just dark and cloudy and we can't see your sunshine, God. Would you help us to see you this week in another week of lockdown? Thank you for sustaining us and loving us. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. That really does make such a fantastic difference to the way we view life and can experience life. Lord, help us have more of those fruits of the Spirit this week, more patience, more joy, more kindness, more self-control, help us to actively seek these things out yeah just thank you for all your god your good gifts god amen
1: As our service draws to a close, can I wish you all a very happy and blessed week. If you're listening with a young family, remember that there are lots of children's ministry resources available on our website, thanks to our Children, Youth and Families pastor Rowena. Also, remember that there are lots of opportunities to engage with us during the week, whether that be through a Bible study or a prayer meeting or a virtual coffee morning on Zoom giving us an opportunity to enjoy a good chat together. So look out for the emails with the appropriate links that will help you access all the online meetings this week. Later in the week, I also want to encourage you to keep an eye out for the latest edition of Vision, which should be arriving through the post. It's full of good news stories from across the parish. I hope you can enjoy that with a cuppa. Also on our website, you'll find lots of ways that you can give to support the parish during this difficult time of lockdown. But finally, may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.
3: of my
4: Roar up from the ashes. Hope will arise. Death is defeated.